Quite a big part of my childhood summer memories was our yearly hikes to the southern tip of the Swedish mountains. The entire family and our two dogs would take off under the guidance of my dad, who would shun anything that had to do with following the trails. Map and compass was the way to go. I remember it being cozy adventures. Cozy because we would all sleep in a tent that I guess was a bit too small for two adults, two kids and two dogs. Cozy because of the way I felt protected and safe under my shell layers as the weather got worse. Cozy because of all the breaks for treats and terrible freeze-dried food rations. The adventure was river crossings, the weather, getting tired and grumpy, and sometimes needing to turn back before reaching that specific mountain. And not meeting another human being for the entire hike. As I grew up, and also thanks to starting this podcast, I've gotten the chance to rediscover hiking for myself. I know my way around the terrain up north, and I know how to navigate outside the trails, and probably affected by my dad's reluctance to following the trails. Hiking for me is to stay away from people and to spend many days without meeting anyone. So when I got asked to join the Fjällreven Classic this year, I must admit that a part of me frowned and thought that why the hell would I ever want to share the trail with more than 2,000 people? My name is Magnus Ormestad. This is the Swedish outdoor podcast Husky, and I was about to be surprised. I'm in Abisko, right by the finish line of Fjällreven Classic. I'm sitting in a makeshift tattoo parlor, and a girl with rolled up hiking pants is about to get a tattoo. So are you nervous? No. You've done tattoos before? Yes. So what's going to happen in maybe one minute? I'm getting a tattoo of a boot print and the Fjall Raven logo. How come? Um, this is my third classic and it's just been like life changing for me and I just love the experience and the whole, just everything about it. It's been life changing even. Yes, um, just got me into hiking and outdoors and I've met so many people and it's just been the best time of my life. <laughs> it's the third uh, classic in Sweden or th- did you do it in Denmark as well? Um, this is my first in the in Sweden and then the other two I did were in the US. How did I end up here? There's a huge teepee pitched right between the finish line and the Arbisco mountain station. The teepee is big enough to fit a rock band, a bar, and probably up to 100 people. For the duration of the week it is known as the Trekkers Inn. All around me I see smiles from all over the world. A lawn full of backpacks and the mountains surrounding the Arbisco National Park that marks the start or end of the King's Trail, perhaps the most renowned of all trails in Sweden. Exhausted but happy, with radiant smiles, the hikers approach the finish line where they are greeted with cheers and applause from the ones that's 
already done the 110 kilometer hike. Some already with a couple of beers under their belt. The atmosphere is best described as that of a festival. But this is a festival you have to hike your way into. As the Fjällräven Classic was celebrating its 15th year anniversary, I went up to Kiruna, a mining town some 200 kilometers north of the Arctic Circle. From here, the participants went by bus to Nikalokta, the starting point and the first stamp in your Fjällräven Classic hiking pass. <laughs> Where are you guys from? Uh, so I'm from Switzerland and my colleague is from Germany. Okay, okay. And, and colleague, you're not, uh, you're not working in the outdoor industry? None of us, no. Desk no. <laughs> job? Uh, yes. Hmm? yes. Uh, so how come you ended up... Uh, doing the Fjällräven classic? Um, that was more by accident, actually, <laughs> uh, because we wanted to uh, meet again, because he lives in Lebanon, I live in Germany now, um, and we definitely wanted to do something outdoors, because, you know, in the work that we have, we don't get to spend a lot of time outside. Um, so we ran into this and we said, yes, sure, let's sign up. Have you ever been to Sweden before? Or have you ever been this far up north before? Never, no. Not by far. <laughs> and what, uh, what's your, uh, I don't know, your outdoor background? Because this is hiking. Are you hikers? I, I was a Girl Scout as a child, and I'm from Switzerland, so I do a lot of mountaineering. Uh, just I cannot do it now as much as I used to when I lived there. Yeah. And you, any outdoor activities in Lebanon? Uh, I used to hike a lot as a child, but now it's more like leaving the house, going to the office. That's my outdoor activity. <laughs> but, but you do work in Lebanon right now? Yes, yes. Because there's a lot of uh, possibilities for that. You have even have snow up in the mountains. I know, I know. It's a, it's a, it's a nice hiking area, but it's not so well organized. And there are no proper tracks, or now they started to have one, so it's a bit difficult if you don't have a person who's familiar with the region. Speaking of well-organized, uh, what are your impressions so far of the Fjallraven Classic? Uh, really impressive, yeah, given the amount of people that are going in and out, and everybody's a little bit lost, but it's really well... Um, you cannot get lost, I think, so far. Let's see on the track. <laughs> <laughs> before, I s- before I send you off on the trail, uh, what are your expectations for the coming days? Because you're used to hiking in the Swiss Alp, or Alpinism maybe, but this is, this is a bit different. Like, like, what do you expect? Oh, I don't know. I just expect beautiful nature. I definitely expect that I will be a little bit tired also because I'm sick now. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 don't worry. <laughs> um, but no, I just expect uh, all sorts of emotions and reminiscing to the past past camping days. Yeah. And you? I'm super excited about the nature and just being out, good air and not receiving any work emails. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, what day do you expect to arrive in Albisco? Uh, well, we definitely want to take our time. We yeah, want to take it five slow. Days. Five days. Mm. I think. Let the mosquitoes have their buffet. Exactly. <laughs> you <know it. laughs> nice talking to you and, and enjoy the trail. Thanks a lot. So the first day of Fjällräven Classic, it has come to an end. Uh, and I've trekked from the Nikalokta station where the uh, through hike begins and I ended up at Kebnekaise mountain station uh, about 20 kilometers more or less and this 
part of the trek. I've done this before a couple of times. It's really not my favorite trail at all. It's uh, very crowded, and uh, since it is a very popular trail, uh, the trails have been beaten pretty bad. So it's a lot of stones, uh, and big parts of the trail also goes through a uh, uh, forest. And since I've done it before a couple of times, there's really not a lot of surprises for me. Uh, so I'm really, really looking forward to uh, the coming days, which will be brand new territory for me. And now from my tent I can see some of uh, Sweden's most majestic peaks and a big, nice valley that opens up. So uh, I'm looking forward for tomorrow. I guess we all expected weather to be grey, wet and somewhat windy. So when that first day ended with clear blue skies, barely any wind and an amazing sunset over the valley where I pitched my tent, I told myself, okay Magnus, better enjoy this, the following days will be all rain. But all the forecasts were dead wrong. A seemingly endless flow of happy hikers made their way from Kebnekaise, around the massif of some of the highest peaks in Sweden, towards the checkpoints Singi and Selka. Day 2 becomes my longest day on the trail, since I wanted to have a shorter approach to the Chetka mountain pass that would be the next challenge on the hike. So the uh, second day of the uh, Fjallraven Classic is done. Um, I'm in the tent and I pitched the tent about two kilometers north of Selka Stugana, the Selka cabins. Uh, so I've done about 30 k's of hiking today, so I'm pretty pooped. Uh, but I did that in order to uh, get a shorter approach to uh, the next big challenge, the Chetka Pass. Um, it's a mountain pass. Uh, it's not super high, but it's a couple of hundreds of meters of elevation that we uh, will have to gain in about well, less than two kilometers of distance. So it's supposedly it's pretty steep. Um, and the weather will... Allegedly, uh, it could be a bit worse tomorrow than we've had today because today we've had, I would say, like the the perfect weather to hike in. Uh, mostly sunny, but but not entirely sunny. So a bit of clouds uh, to give you some shade, and uh, I think it it adds to the uh, to adds to the scenery when you see all the shadows play on the mountainsides and so on. For me, it's it's best possible, best possible, um, and it felt really good to to have left that first that first trail from Nikalokta up to Kebnekaise, because today was the day that the hike really really took off and really started. So tomorrow it's going to be a pretty long day as well. I'm aiming for Alessiaura, the Alessiaura cabins. Uh, I've passed two checkpoints today, and uh, so that's another two checkpoints tomorrow so that's 25k including that little uh, that little mountain pass 
but uh, I've got a good feeling and uh, looking forward to a good night's sleep. Ciao. The 2019 edition of Fjellraven Classic might have been my first, but the event celebrated its 15th birthday. I got in contact with probably the most important person behind the Swedish edition of Fjellraven Classic. Hello? My name is Sofie Djurgård Lövgren and uh, I am a project leader. I run my own business. I am a passionate skier and outdoor guide. And uh, yeah... I think that's it. Sophie makes a living doing events such as these with her company, Active Ut. Do you remember that very first time when you when you got the uh, assignment to uh, arrange something called Fjällräven Classic? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, we were uh, working with another event called Fjällräven Extreme Marathon that was uh, in Åre by that time. And we had worked with that with, for a couple of years. And then uh, Fjellraven um, uh, hired a, a new guy in the marketing department. And he had this idea with Fjellraven Classic. And uh, since we had done Fjellraven Extreme Marathon, they asked if we wanted to work with Fjellraven Classic and, and uh, st- start it up. And, and uh, for us, it was completely natural to, to, to do it and say yes. And by that time, it was actually my husband, Christer, who was who was responsible as a project leader. I took over after maybe two, three years. Uh, what were the circumstances like? Like, how, how? What kind of directions did you did you get, or or did you yourself, your team, were you able to kind of uh, set your own standard to this uh, to this new arrangement? Uh, there was uh, no no standard really at all. Uh, we we had to invent everything and we were totally free together as a group we had a small group that was uh, with some persons from Fjellraven and then some volunteers that we hired and and some of us from Aktivut so we kind of founded it and and came up with the ideas along the way how to solve the problems and how to how to build up the event uh, actually, I heard a story about uh, how the uh, Åke Nordin, the founder of Fjällräven, uh, when the team within Fjällräven, when they first uh, uh, described to him w- what they wanted to do with the Fjällräven Classic, he just, he just uh, within a matter of second, he just gave them a thumbs up and like, sounds good, do it. Do you know anything about that? No, I wasn't there actually, but I've uh, was I have been up at Fjellraven Classic a couple of times and he has always been very encouraging and very happy to see all these people uh, coming to the finish especially and and because one of his purposes with Fjellraven was also to encourage people to get out. So that suits the event very well and that still is a, is a aim for, for Fjellraven to do and that feels very good for us also at Aktivut because that's our our main purpose while we run our company uh, What were your early visions as you started to prepare this very first uh, Fjellraven class some, some 15 years ago? Um, we knew very little we didn't really have any big expectations because this did not exist anywhere else in the world. Uh, so we, I don't think we thought very much about it. We were just like, let's do it and see what, 
how it ends up and uh, it ended up quite well so uh, we're still doing it but the plan was was nothing uh, it was not the big vision from the very beginning it was just an idea that we thought could be working um how would you describe fear loving classic for for someone who, who hasn't experienced it uh there is a swedish word folkfest i think it exists in german too folksfest and uh, it's like a big party uh, where everybody kind of strive together for one one thing and help each other and uh, it's a fantastic uh, feeling to be at Fjellerman Classic because uh, everybody are there for the same purpose. They want to finish the hike, they want to make new friends, uh, they want to be happy, they want to get out in the nature. A lot of the people are, are uh, new hikers, they have never done anything like this before so they're quite, quite unsafe when they start but as they they hike and they realize that they can do it they manage they get good help they grow so much uh, so when they come to the finish line they are so happy uh, on a lot of the hikers we see the tears are coming down and they're so happy they're hugging each other and they're really content with what they've made and that's uh, that's a big big uh, big feeling to over the whole event i actually actually thought a bit about that uh, hanging out in obisco at the hikers inn uh, you could actually describe fjellraven classic as a, as a big party uh, you're just gonna have to hike 110 kilometers through serene landscapes in order to get to the party <laughs> yeah kind of but i see that the party is also on the hike not only in obisco yeah. yeah but yeah i agree but i think it's kind of you're not a part of the party in Abisko if you haven't done the hike because you don't okay. get the same feeling. You, you, it's, it's, I mean, it's the same thing if you do other long, uh, hard uh, uh, struggles like, uh, like very long ultra runs or things like that. You get very emotional. And, and I think you, you don't get that feeling if you haven't done it. Um, you get another feeling by watching them are doing and, and just, yeah feeling it yourself uh so by now the fjellaven classic is is a big is a is a real international thing uh could you give us some numbers on the on the latest one when it comes to participants and where the participants are from and so on yes so this year we had two thousand participants uh, and uh, out of them we had 40 percent females and we really would like that to be a bit higher we work for that uh, the oldest person uh, was 80 years old that started, and the youngest one was 1.5 years old. Uh, and out of the 2,000 starting people, 298 have done Fjellerman Classic before, once or more. We had actually a few people that have done it 10, 11, 12 times. Uh, and then um, we had 46, 46 nationalities. So it's a very international event. It's like a United Nations in hiking boots. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you are very familiar with the terrain uh, and with all, as the Sami people say, all eight seasons uh, of the area. Uh, how would you describe it to someone who has never been as far up north? It's very remote. 
it's very far to the closest road, to the closest cell phone coverage, uh, to all kind of like civilization. Uh, it's very serene and very big. Um, you walk in, in big, wide valleys and you have uh, the mountains on the sides. So you really get the feeling of how, how small you are. Um, and since you're self-supported uh, when you're out there, uh, you get a certain feeling of the freedom because you you can walk wherever and whenever you want. And uh, that's something I really like. Uh, that area is, is very special. It's the mountain area in Sweden with the highest mountains. So it's a quite alpine um, with also uh, the typical mountain weather from uh, 25 degrees uh, warm to minus 5 degrees cold some summertime and it can snow, uh, but also be super nice sunny summer weather. So you always have to be prepared on on everything and that's also a challenge uh, which i like uh, to to uh, to do uh, so this the, the the climate and the terrain that you're describing it's uh, it's not the uh, it's not the best place to to head out if you're if you have like zero experience of, of doing something similar but still this event strikes me as very welcoming and it's because of the organization and so on, it's um, it, it it actually is quite open for even even though if you have no pre previous experience of similar things, how do you go about making this manageable and welcoming for for people who have never been there, done something similar before? What's the key? Yeah, I, uh, you're correct. We have a lot of beginners coming, and uh, that's actually one of the things we we want to do. We want to welcome beginners be, because we want to help more people to to get out in nature and get the feeling for nature and feel how it is to be self-sufficient and uh, uh, to feel that they can do this without being afraid. Uh, and um, what we do is that we help the participants with the setup from start to end. So we have a pickup at the airport and train station with buses uh, to the check-in and from the, at the check-in they get the map the uh, the food the gas for the stove or the liquid fuel uh, dry food and all of those stuff so uh, already from the beginning they get help they don't have to plan this themselves uh, and then there are buses from the check-in out to the start which is 70 kilometers and just that stretch can be tricky to to find a transport for normally and then from start to finish, we have a setup with checkpoints, uh, more or less every 15th, every 18th kilometer, where we have staff. Uh, and it's open uh, 24 hours every day during the whole event. So you can get help anytime. Uh, and at each checkpoint, we have medical staff that are trained nurses. With, they're trained in, in outdoor medicine and uh, they have everything they might need there. Uh, we have satellite phones in emergency cases that we can use. So it's it's very convenient and we have tried to, to uh, build in a, a feeling of safety and an, an actual safety that we can help people if they feel that this they won't manage, then we can help them. And I think that's one of the things that, that a lot of people really 
appreciate uh, because that makes the, the beginners to come. They feel safe and that's what we really want them to do. Uh, so this is not the uh, the easiest place in the world to plan logistics and and sort out uh, 125 vo- volunteers and 2,000 participants and whatnot. Could you could you uh, give some example to just kind of paint a scene to to make us understand what you're facing when it comes to to planning and making all this work? Yes, uh, 2,000 persons are quite a lot of people, and especially in a remote mountain area like, like this area. So uh, one thing that we do is that we let the start groups go uh, one at a time. So all 2,000 do not start at the same time. So we actually never see all the 2,000 persons at the same time. What we see is a river of, <laughs> of people coming coming and going. Uh, and... Um, uh, we also have a lot of logistics regarding buses, uh, transportation, food. And then we have to use helicopter for, for some logistics because sometimes pe- people do get hurt and have to be taken out of the trail. And uh, we have some equipment that have to be transported in. But we try to limit the helicopter as much as possible due to environmental issues and costs and that it's not so nice to have them flying over your head. Uh, and then most of all, we work very much with our 140 volunteers, which is a super big logistics to make a, a plan who will arrive when and where and who's going where. And uh, yeah, that's a plan that we work with for almost uh, 11 months to, to make it work for the next year. And just so so people understand that um, you can't just fly anywhere with with helicopters out there because it's the weather and the site um, the, um, the 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 line of sight can change like from one hour to to the next. So a planned helicopter transport can be aborted due to weather. Uh, so it's not an it's not an easy, easy thing, and you can never take anything for granted. No, right? that's true. Like this year, we had some uh, some uh, troubles. Actually, uh, there were we had some volunteers that had to walk out to their checkpoints this year to be sure to be there when the first hikers came, uh, and then the equipment came afterwards. Um, but so far, we've been very lucky. But that's true. Um, I mean, it can be too cloudy or foggy for a week, so it's not possible to fly. Um, so doing this for 15 years, do you have any particular memories or emotions or something that, that kind of stand out? Like if you, when someone says Fjellraven Classic, what's the first, uh, what's the fir- first emotions you get? Yes. Um, the first, first thing I, I think about is, um, the community around the event, because it's so big and it's so warm and it's so welcoming and it's so open-minded and helpful. Uh, and it, it's fantastic. It has just grown out of itself by all the participants and the volunteers. And it's, it's yeah, it's amazing. Uh, it's, it's, I really think about that a lot, how, how welcoming it is. Uh, and another thing that, that comes to my mind is... Uh, when I meet all the volunteers, uh, every year I meet all the volunteers uh, the day before the first opening. And uh, that's a very special moment for me because without the volunteers, we would not be able to do this event. And there's a lot of them coming back year after year after year. 
paying their own expenses, uh, paying their own travel, take vacation, but they keep coming back and they love it. And we are so happy about that. That's another very special moment for me to have them in front of me at this meeting. So 48 different nationalities. Like I told Sophie, that is a UN on foot. In shell ears, hiking boots, and an attitude that anything is possible. Later along the hike, I joke with some of the other participants that since we are cut off from any cell phone reception for at least three days, God knows what might have happened as we got back to the news updates. But if all would have gone sideways as we got back, we all came to the conclusion that the Fjällreven participants would be a pretty good selection of people to repopulate the earth. So, anyways, day three took me from the Tjetka mountain pass to the still mountain lake Allesjaure, where I pitched the tent a bit higher on one of the mountain sides to escape the mosquitoes. So, third day completed of the Fjällraven Classic. Uh, I'm in the tent now at Allesjaure after my third full day of hiking. Uh, so the day started with that, with passing of that Chetka pass that we've heard so much about. Turns out it wasn't that tough, really. Like it only took took me about two hours from my from when I left the campsite until I had passed it. So it was it was really not a big thing. I can imagine that, of course, it, everything is 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 worse when it's really bad weather. But now we had the wind in our back. Um, and pretty decent weather. It has been a bit more windy today and it has been raining for a couple of hours. Kind of adds a dimension to it all though. Uh, you don't enjoy the views the same because it's all gray. But I don't know. I kind of like it. You tuck in your shell layers and you open up the vent pockets and then you just... Um, maybe it's a bit more introvert. But I still kind of like it. And now where we ended up here in Allesjaure, it's right by a big lake. Jaure, by the way, is a Sami uh, for lake. Um, and uh, who likes to live in the lake? Well, mosquitoes love to live in the lake. Uh, so here's uh, millions of the tiny fellows. Uh, so now I'm hidden in my tent managed to get all the mosquitoes out and in a way I think I kind of hope for a bit more wind and uh, I actually I prefer wind and rain to mosquitoes I have to say well good night Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. $15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Day four was pure hiking propaganda. Fresh air, clear skies with some clouds for shade. 
hiking along the Alessiaro Lake, I met two guys from Glasgow. We started talking about how the nature up here is very similar to the ones in the Scottish Highlands. I remarked that there's less whiskey over here. Their instant reply was, well, not where you're standing, with a gesture towards their backpacks. So how, who are you guys? So I'm Craig, um, this is Philip, we're both from Glasgow in Scotland. Uh, and as I noticed, uh, next year the Fiat 11 Classic is coming to not your town, but your country. So how would you compare the nature that we are walking through now to to your home country? I think it's very similar where we are just now. Um, in the high passes in Sweden, it's very different. It's much more rocky, uh, you're higher. It's more like the tops of our mountains, your high passes. But where we're walking just now, I took a photograph earlier on and it's very like somewhere in the north of Scotland. Although we are very much looking forward to swapping your mosquitoes for our midges next year <laughs> when you come to Scotland. And the midges are what we in Sweden call knott. Yes. Like small it's like small ones, but but are they are they, you prefer them? I'm not sure prefer is the word I would use, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to introducing all the people from the Fjallraven Classic to, to this new breed that, that, that for next year. I think that would be exciting. So how come you ended up doing this in Sweden then? I think uh, I'd been looking at it for a number of years and it was quite hard to get a partner because we've all got young kids and so on. So uh, it was only this year that Craig said, right, let's do it. So And our, both our wives are away at a spa retreat. <laughs> Believe it or not, yeah. So they yeah, put themselves in for three days at a very posh spa retreat and Michelin restaurant, and they've put the children into a camp <laughs> while we are doing this. So it's perfect. It's what we call a classic win-win. Yes, yes absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <For> them. <laughs> yeah. But are you hikers? Yes, uh, I've hiked my entire life in Scotland, so we are well used to this and. Yeah, it's good fun. It's nice to be in a different country. Uh, has it been, because now we are coming to an end, I, I guess you're aiming for Abisco for tomorrow as well? Yeah, Abisco for tomorrow, and that will be a wee bit earlier than we thought. So, And then we're off to Stockholm for um, a long weekend to enjoy the ABBA Museum. Um, the ABBA Museum? <laughs> for real? i got to edit that out. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, so has it been like anything like you've expected? Yeah, it's been absolutely amazing. Uh, the organisation's been fantastic and certainly I'd like to thank all the volunteers because they've all been really, really good. Um, you know, when you come to a checkpoint and you're given a reindeer wrap, it's just absolutely perfect. So it's now the organisation's been absolutely amazing. I've been really, really impressed. i got to say, when I ate that wrap, it was the the least worthy meal I've had in my life because it was like, oh, I could feel it like sipping through my fingers as I was eating it. I, did, I think I had more in my hands at the end of it than I did in my stomach. I've still got some on my pants. Yeah. <laughs> but it's worth it. It's, it's absolutely worth it. Worth yeah. it. Yeah. And uh, the highlights so far and the low points? Uh, the, I haven't had any low points. Uh, the highlights have been seeing the mountains, um, Kibnekaisa, um, and then walking up through the high pass. So uh, camping's been good fun. Meeting lots of different people has been amazing. Talking to everybody, and there haven't been we haven't met any other Scottish, so no. it's been quite nice to be uh, the only ones and um, to meet lots of different nationalities. So 
I drew the jackpot here. The only Scots. You did, indeed. <laughs> um, and we have our whiskey, we'll get this. Are you going to edit this out about the whiskey that we have to give you after this? <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave it in. <laughs> I like to be transparent. Yeah. Objective journalism and so on. <laughs> yeah, but definitely if, there's, if there are more people on the Fjall Raven Classic Sweden this year from South Korea than there are from Scotland, hopefully then, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully then next year when we do one in Scotland, it'll get the Scottish people interested as well. That'd be really nice. Yeah. Um, thank you for your time and enjoy your whiskey and your, your hike. Thank you. Thank you. Ross Bainbridge works with the up-and-coming Fjallraven Classic event in Scotland. Yeah, so my name is Ross Bainbridge um, and I work for Fjallraven in the UK um, and my position is, is Northern Sales, so I, I cover sales across the northwest of England and Scotland for Fjallraven, so very, very lucky to be in that position because it's a great brand to work with and um, enables me to be out and about, you know, seeing nature and things firsthand and I'm lucky enough as well to work in some beautiful areas. <laughs> Um, I guess ending up working for a company such as Fjell Lemon means that you are an outdoor enthusiast. Oh yes. Uh, <laughs> how would you how would you describe your background in the in the outdoors? A, a, a jack of all trades and master of none. <laughs> is how, very much how I describe myself. I started off um, being dragged out into the hills when I was a little boy by my mum and dad. Um, I think most memories of that are rain sodden, <laughs> um, and then sort of developed into climbing, uh, rock climbing, winter climbing, um, trips to the Alps and um, the French Alps and the Swiss Alps for getting some of the, the bigger mountains under my belt um, and just to be honest my, my girlfriend describes me as a dog that I'm just happy to be outside <laughs> um, so anything whether it's running in the hills or whether it's mountaineering mountain biking hill walking I'm, I'm just happy being outside. <laughs> um, what What is a a Fjallraven Classic, uh, such an event, what what is it to you? I think to me, um, it, it really goes back to that core ethos about what Fjallraven is as a brand, and that's really about encouraging people to get out into nature. Um, the, the accessibility that events such as Fjallraven Classic create for people um, that perhaps are not used to being away overnight in wilderness areas, um, or have been out and experienced these things in the past but want to do it as a social event um, is very, very important. I think really what the idea of Classic done was give that ability to have an event that wasn't a race or a competition. You know, there, there, there wasn't something that was going to be out of reach um, for a lot of people. Um, take the the safety aspects, the food and the transport aspects of, of big hikes in wilderness areas and, and open those up to everyone by taking care of those aspects of, of the of the of the trip. Um, and for me it is really just down to that core ethos about encouraging people out into nature um, and when you can do it in a supported format in a format um, that is a social event rather than a competitive natured event um, then I think that's something a little bit different to what we're seeing out there a lot of the time just now because a lot of the the adrenaline driven activities are, are very sort of competition based when it comes to to events so I, I think this stands alone a little bit and being something a bit different. Uh, so I guess that you are you are quite involved in planning the 
the roots, the trails, and the, the yes, uh, yes, everything uh, about this. How how would you first of all how would you describe the uh, for someone who 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 has never been to to Scotland? How would you describe the the nature and the surroundings and the climate and so on? And and what can you tell us about the um, uh, like the length of the trail and the, I mean what to expect, how many days and so on? Of course. So in, in Scotland um, we have the the ability um, to access most land and inland waters thank you to the, the Land Reform Act of 2003. So similarly to in Sweden it gives us the ability of, of what we would call freedom to roam within the, the countryside and wilderness areas um, which in, in turn just encourages a lot of people out into wilderness areas and out into the, the outdoors and nature which is fantastic um, Scotland there's a bit of a marked difference in Scotland in terms of terrain whereas the west coast of Scotland is very very craggy mountainous, a lot of big mountain ridges, a lot of exposure and a lot of climbing within the areas um, developed you know, throughout the years within these territories. When you move sort of central and further eastern through the highlands they, they become a lot more rounded, a lot more rolling but generally actually a bit higher than sort of, so when, once you're kind of up on the tops you tend to be able to sort of sustain your height very easily um, due to sort of the big broad backed nature of the mountains as well and they tend to be not quite as deep valleys they tend to be a bit more open and things as well um, and very very beautiful of course but I would say that being a Scot <laughs> um, so we're in the planning stages of, of uh, Fjallraven Classic UK at the moment um, we're looking to have the trek in autumn of 2020. Um, we have a couple of routes uh, cherry-picked at the moment that we are in the process of test walking just now um, with colleagues from Fjallraven in Sweden as well as a team from the UK. Um, and we're also utilising just a, a couple of... Uh, uh, core people who, who we, we, we relish their opinion um, that have been on Classic in, in Sweden, um, that are customers of ours, or they, they work for stores that are stockists of Fjallraven so they understand the brand, they understand the ethos, um, that will be joining us as well on these test walks because it's it's all very well and good for myself and my, my colleagues to go, yeah this is great, but to, to get some honest feedback and opinion from the people <laughs> that we've dragged across the hill um, will we'll, we'll definitely be worthwhile. We're looking at a trek to somewhere probably between about 60 and 70 kilometres um, over about three days with, with two nights out uh, in, in the mountains. Um, now, compared to some of the other classics that, that run throughout the world now, um, between 60 and 70 kilometres perhaps doesn't seem particularly long. Um, however, the terrain that we have in Scotland is can be pretty tough um, and the, the climate as well is, is certainly... <laughs> It can certainly change on a whim. It can change very, very quickly. Um, generally, you know, the, the winters start round about sort of January. They, they start in earnest and, and can run right through to about March and April time. May and September are generally very good months uh, in the country because you can... It, get a more stable temperatures a little bit more stable in terms of the, the rain it tends to be not as much rain um, within those months um, and the colours actually within the, the landscape as well in May just as everything's coming to life the colours are absolutely beautiful but also in the autumn round about September time um, there's a, a beautiful just spectrum of, of 
golden colours, yellows, oranges and browns and greens um, throughout the landscape, which is actually probably my favourite time of year actually out in the mountains of Scotland, um, just because of the, the colours and the light is, is absolutely fantastic. Um, so we're, we're hoping for the time of year that we've picked that the, the weather will be kind to us. I know Scotland certainly has a reputation for lots of rain. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I don't know if it's um, a proper saying, but I, I can remember hearing once someone saying that uh, if you can see the other side of the lake, that means it's raining. <laughs> like either it's super cloudy or it's raining. That's it's very, the two there's, there's also another thing, which is if you don't like the weather in Scotland, just hang around for half an hour and it'll change. Because <laughs> 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 it's very much bound to do that. So yeah. no, we're, we're 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 really really excited about about welcoming people from both within the UK, but hopefully further afield um, to the UK and to Scotland. Um, we we hope and feel that we've got a fantastic route planned that will give people a, a good idea that what Scotland is all about for those that haven't been before um, and will hopefully encourage and, and give ideas for, for return trips through the years uh, as well and a great opportunity just to, to walk through those those environments and that nature and, and meet new people and, and have a great time. Uh, what, what do you think will make this particularly uh, challenging? Um, generally, the, the terrain in Scotland is quite challenging, so there's um, there, there won't be too many flat sections. <laughs> um, it's it's bound to be undulating, um, so quite a lot of up and down. Um, exposure can be one thing as well, and by exposure, I don't mean necessarily sort of exposure in terms of a height, um, but more exposure in terms of being out within you know big wilderness areas. Um, so very similar to trekking the King's Trail um, at Fjallraven Classic in Sweden, um, big expanses of wilderness areas and things as well. But um, we're certainly putting lots in place to make sure that the trek is obviously going to be safe that it will be well supported with stations and, and trekking camps and things as well so um you know i i've been walking and climbing and trekking in the the scottish hills all my life and i'm still alive so i, th <laughs> I think we'll all be okay but um I, I think as well as well as the the challenges that the the terrain and the environment can bring in scotland you know not wishing to put anybody off um it's it's bolstered by um, the the attitude and the hospitality of the Scots because it's, it's second to none, to be honest. That we're a very very friendly bunch of people, um, and we'll we'll welcome everybody from all corners of the world with open arms. Um, and generally, within about ten minutes, you'll be our best friends. <laughs> Speaking of being a good host and guest and so on, uh, what, what do you expect? Do you expect most uh, guests to come from overseas, or do you expect uh, people from the UK? So it's a bit of an unknown for us at the moment. We certainly know from the other uh, classics that run throughout the world. So we've got the original in Sweden, but we've also got Hong Kong, USA, Denmark and Korea up and running already. Um, and we do know that because Fjallraven is a brand that, that attracts uh, a strong community and a, and a sense of being within the brand, um, that we're, we're really hoping um, that we, we, we mirror the other events throughout the world world and, and encouraging people to come from further afield than just the UK. So um, it's a bit of an unknown at the moment. We have pre-launched um, to the media that we will be doing this in the UK. Um, the word is slowly but surely getting out there. So hopefully over the course of the next few months, we'll generate a lot of interest um, 
and encourage a lot of people to, to come either back to the UK and Scotland that have, have travelled before um, or encourage people that perhaps haven't made the trip just yet to, to come and see us. Um, so we're very hopeful. Um, and, you know, like I said earlier, the, the Fjallraven Classic is, is all about a, a social trek as well so um the the more people that we can encourage to come from you know all four corners of the world then the more fun it will make it thank you so much for taking your time to do this no no problem at all thank you for taking the time to talk to us as well we're, we're <laughs> really really excited about it um and the we're, we're just hoping that the the, the actual trek and the event itself is just as exciting as the planning stages because we're having great, great fun here looking at it all and planning it and things as well. And we're, we're really hoping to put on a fantastic event. Um, we'll have some very nice Scottish touches to it as well. Um, so we can expect a, a few little surprises along the way um, for exciting things for people joining us. Um, and yeah, we think it was going to be an absolutely fantastic time. So please come along <laughs> and, and see, <laughs> see the fantastic Scottish wilderness and, and meet us all. And we look forward to meeting everybody that comes along. The day ended at the last checkpoint before Obisco, Kieron. It actually felt a bit sad to hike down below the tree line that I left about four days earlier. The hike was coming to an end. But at the checkpoint the staff and volunteers waited with fresh coffee and pancakes. Uh, so I met you a couple of minutes ago just before as you were heading down to the Kieron checkpoint where we are right now. And I told you you're about one minute from a pancake. And I think I would not have gotten a better reaction even if I told you, hey, guess what, you just won one million euro. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the expression on your face when I told you that you were about to have a pancake. Yeah. Explain to me what was going through your head. I was very, very happy. And because today was uh, quite uh, difficult, uh, but it was a good day. That, But um, when, I, when I heard the, the word pancake, <laughs> I was so happy. <laughs> yeah. So, so tell me about your day. What made it? What made it difficult? Um, because yesterday it was a very difficult day. <laughs> yeah, but because we had the Kiron Pass, no, the Chatka Pass. I'm confused with all the, yeah. and uh, that was very heavy. But uh, today it was uh, a long day. And uh, but it was a good day. The sun was shining. Yeah, it was like I, I, I say to everyone, it's like propaganda weather. It's propaganda yeah. hiking. Yeah. Uh, how come you ended up here at the Fjellraven Classic? Actually, my wife uh, invited me. She was like, uh, it was on her bucket list to do for a long time, and um, um, she was looking actually for a friend to join her. But at a certain moment, she asked like, but why? Maybe yeah, you can join me, and uh, we need to find a solution for the kids at home. But uh, so, so you are a Plan B. We, I, I was a Plan B indeed. <laughs> I was a Plan B, but she figured out herself that uh, I should become the Plan A. <laughs> yeah. uh, what? Why? Why did this end up on your bucket list? What? Like? Uh, what elements? What? What? What uh, intrigued you about it? Uh, the surrounding, the the. Uh, the views, the, the mountains, the, um, the wideness of the nature. 
Yeah. Yeah. Very unlike Holland. Very unlike Holland. <laughs> Holland is everything flat. So it because uh, it was difficult for us to train uh, before the Fjallraven Classic. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, we didn't train hard enough. So uh, be because we can't train it. Uh, so th that was that made this journey difficult. That made for us the Fjallraven difficult. Yeah. Uh, but would you describe yourself as like outdoor loving people? Um, yes, but we also love the city. Yeah, we love both. Both. Like, like we are combining this with an uh, with an additional day in Stockholm. So we do like to combine more the city life with the with the wildlife. I would say, uh, par uh, camping outside these kind of things without anything around you. That's what we do like. Um, but it's something you yeah you need to experience in your life. I I think so. It's something that along yeah your life you're experiencing at a different different surroundings different you get different learnings and you see the world from all kinds of different aspects and that's the nice thing about Fjallraven uh, Classic as well. So what's it like uh, hiking and tenting together as a couple? Yeah, when, when when we when we left home we did say uh, we are around our 40s tour right now. I just became 40 like last week, and uh, if we come back married. Then this was a great journey together. <laughs> well, it was it was a a good uh, couples training, but I I don't. I think we did great. We I think we did great. Yeah, actually yeah. After, after yesterday, uh, when yeah. yeah, yesterday was very heavy. Was uh, uh, during the end of the the, the, the walk, I, I I cried because I wouldn't set a step further, because he but he helped me so. It was a good. It, it was a good. Good collaboration together. Yeah. You came out stronger. <laughs> I came out stronger. <laughs> yes. That's what we tell you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so tomorrow you will um, you will pass the the finish line or what you call it in Obisko. Yep. So has it been like anything like what you've expected? Um, I it was harder than I expected. Yeah, but uh, the nature what it it was so beautiful. Uh, that uh, that is beyond my expectations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so enjoy your pancakes and uh, thank you for your time. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <coughs> so the fourth day of Fjallraven Classic has come to an end. Uh, I'm once again in my tent. And it's by the Kieron checkpoint, which is the last checkpoint before Obisko, where Fjällräven Classic will finish tomorrow. And um, so today has been fantastic. Uh, I would say the best day so far. Um, the weather has been could not could not have been better. Uh, partly cloudy. Uh, light winds keeping all the mosquitoes away so this and the scenery was fantastic um, for many hours we uh, the trail went just past a very nice lake uh, the trails were a, a, a lot of flat trails really nice trails and so I've been walking light and very fast today so we have a set camp just below the tree line in a mountain birch forest 
really pretty. So the plan for tomorrow is to get up pretty early and uh, finish this off with a 15k hike right into Obisco. Another big Fjällräven event is the Fjällräven Polar and on the trail were a small group of Polar veterans. For them this was like a family reunion minus the dogs. One of them, Mayo from Estonia, sat by her tent in the last night camp with a notebook and some watercolor sketching the landscape. Later in Abisko I met up with her. Last night at the Kieron checkpoint slash campsite. I caught you because you, you had the tent um, quite close to mine. And I spotted you and I came to disturb you because you were sitting. In your lap you had a small sketchbook and a palais. Do you say that in English? Palette. Palette. Yeah. A palette, exactly. And you were painting. Like some of us are running around with GoPros, cameras and mobile phones and whatnot. But not you. You're painting. Tell me uh, a bit about that. Well, yes, I do have a small sketchbook with me at all times, when, wherever I go, because uh, about three years ago, I decided I want to paint. I want to know how to paint. And what's the easiest thing to paint is landscape. So whenever I went hiking or traveling, I had my sketchbook with me. And now it sort of has become my thing that when I take hiking tours, hiking trips mostly. I have this uh, palette, small palette and book with me with my water brushes and uh, whenever I have the time I sit down and sketch the landscape what I see instead of just photographing it. And tell me what, what goes on in your mind as you uh, look through these notebooks and you see these paintings that you have done on all these spectacular places. Well, these pictures take me back to the place and I know exactly what I thought at that moment, what I felt, what I saw, because when I look back at these paintings, of course, I'm immediately transported back to that place. I know what I felt at the moment. I know what I saw and thought, because when I sketch something, I usually stay at the spot for 15 to 30 minutes. So I really get into that moment through my paintings. So it's much more than just like a visual stimuli for me. It's more like this total body and mind transportation. Uh, so you've just completed the Fjellreven Classic, but that is not your, not your first Fjellreven big time event because on your, on your arm there's a patch that says Fjellreven Polar. Uh, tell me about that. I had the fortune of uh, getting into Fjallraven Polar 2019 um, with the sled talks, six sled talks and with a bunch of other awesome people. Uh, and we took this four day sled dog snowy adventure. And yeah, that was my first contact with the Fjallraven events. And uh, through that and through that um, like social circle, I came to classic. So experiencing a big things such as the Fjellraven Polar, did that in any way change your life? The Fjellraven Polar pretty much 
changed my life 180 degrees. Um, I wanted to do something different with my life and so I was actually searching for things to do differently and the Fjallraven Polar gave me this idea that you can actually, there actually exists this kind of job where you can uh, deal with dogs and snow and people uh, <laughs> enjoying the outdoors. So that gave me the idea of actually trying to apply for one of the musher places in the surrounding kennels. And that's exactly what I did. I contacted a lot of kennels, asked them, here I am, I have such and such skills and I would really love to work with dogs and snow. And uh, I was fortunate enough to got a contract with one of the kennels that, that was also participating on the Fjallram and Polar. So there are small connections there, but uh, me and the owner of the kennel didn't meet at the Polar. So it was like the aftermath of the Polar. And yeah, now uh, I came to Classic. I actually road tripped from Estonia to here to North of Sweden with all of my belongings in my car. And now after Classic, I will take my car and drive to the kennel and start living there and training and getting myself ready for the winter season. With us was another Fjällräven Polar veteran. How has your last couple of days been? My last couple of days have been absolutely amazing because I've spent them outside and I've carried everything I've needed for the past four days on my back, which... Which is amazing, considering how simplistic that is compared to how complicated we make our lives outside of nature. Very true. Who who are you? My name is Melanie Sommerfeld. Uh, I am originally from Michigan's Upper Peninsula, which uh, for most of... Well, yeah, we call ourselves Youpers, I guess, which is an abbreviation for the UP, but I'm a Youper. Okay, okay. Almost Canadian. As I noticed, yeah, almost Canadian. Look, looking at a map, you could, you could, you could go for a Canadian. You could pass for a Canadian. I definitely sound like a Canadian because I say things like "yeah" and "you betcha." <laughs> um, so you just finished the the Fjellraven Classic, the Swedish episode. Uh, how come you uh, you ended up doing that? I ended up doing the Fjellraven Classic because I was given an entry ticket as part of my. Fjallraven Polar participation. So I had thought about doing the classic previous years, but tend to look at going outside more on a solo experience and not with hundreds of other people. So this opportunity came to go with Fjallraven um, through the entry. And yeah, I jumped at the chance and I'm glad I did. Um, from what I've heard, you, you, uh, you didn't apply for Fjallraven Polar only once. No, this is true. I have applied four times, and luckily on the fourth try, uh, I was picked by the jury. Uh, describe the feelings when you... Uh, w- how does it work? Do you get a phone call, or do you get an email, or... A, a husky gram, knocking, <laughs> pawing on your door? <laughs> no, if they would have sent a husky with a little <laughs> note on its collar that says, congratulations, you know, you won the polar, and... As a bonus, you get to keep me. I would have been really excited. But no, actually, I found out that I was going on the polar just like everybody else. I watched the live stream. So I had no, you know, warning or 
yeah, any privy information that I was going to be picked, I had to sit there and watch the live stream, which was exhilarating. Did you cry? I did not. I was shocked. Like I was, I had convinced myself it wasn't going to happen again because there's so many amazing people that apply. You look at applications, you watch the videos of people who are applying with you, and there's so many people who deserve the same opportunity I was given. So in my mind, I had convinced myself I wasn't going to win, so I sat there just kind of stunned for a minute. Did you have like a I'm not worthy moment? No, not so much I'm not worthy. It's just I didn't feel that I was any more special than anybody else. Um, you, grew, you grew up on a ranch, right? Uh, it's a farm, like in the Midwest, instead of calling it ranches, we call them farms. And it wasn't uh, a, a productive farm in the sense that it wasn't our living. It was more for just uh, interest. So we call them hobby farms. So I grew up with, you know, horses and cows. Yeah, cows. Yeah, the little rocking <laughs> horse, you know. <laughs> no, these ones were a little faster than that. But yeah, we grew up with a lot of um, barnyard animals. What are your thoughts on spending time in nature in the company of animals instead of just humans? It's definitely different because an animal, you you kind of, you're working, let's go with the horses, for instance. You're kind of working together as a team. And of course, a horse isn't going to talk to you. I mean, if you watch my application video, horses do talk behind your back, but typically they don't talk to you. So you're sharing that experience with another being. It's just, it's a silent way of experiencing it together, which is something really nice as well. Because it's still a companion. You still have that comfort there, but there's, yeah, there's no words. You just kind of, I don't know. You just enjoy it differently. Uh, the step from horses to huskies. Yeah, that was an interesting one <laughs> because I grew up with dogs as well, but not working dogs. And, you know, having worked with the horses then and having to go out to the corral you you catch them you know you you brush them you saddle them you run them through exercises and you ride so you're working with them and you become a team um you're sensing each other's movements and etc and then with the huskies it's it's very similar um but it was different because it was a dog and you're working at traveling or traversing across something and you're working as as like a power unit so instead of just sitting on a horse and giving cues on a dog sled you don't just stand on the dog sled you actually manage the sled you keep it balanced in the terrain you kick when the dogs need assistance and stuff so you're almost connecting a little bit deeper because you are working physically together as well um comparing something like fjällräven polar to fjällräven classic where you definitely had to do all the work yourself Uh, how would you go about comparing these two arrangements? To the arrangements? Uh, uh, to compare like Fjellhaven Classic and uh, Fjellhaven Polar. Yeah, the the big difference is, is that with the Classic you're doing it solo. But with the Polar you're doing it with a team of dogs. So you're responsible for their well-being, for their safety. And it was your responsibility to take care of their needs first. So you oftentimes put yours on the back burner because you needed each other to get through that event. On the classic is, you know, you can do it solo or you can go with friends, family, or a team. And we all went as a team. But really, it was my responsibility to take care of myself, to make sure I was fed, etc. I can keep an eye on my teammates, but I don't have to provide them with the food. I don't have to feed them. I don't have to put them into their bed at night. 
<laughs> Depends on how fun you're, how much fun you're having. But so that's a little bit of a, a difference there. Um, you know, the the good and the bad of it is, is you kind of become a little more reliant on each other on this event in a way because you're taking care of each other's blisters and you're helping get water and so in an in the end you are still kind of working together just like you did with the dogs um we were talking like last night a bit jokingly but still with a sense of with a sense of uh, seriousness to it i think about the uh, camaraderie in the outdoors uh like getting together with people that you well maybe two days ago you were complete strangers to each other uh but now when you share an experience out out in the outdoors something happens what do you think yeah that is true you know you come from different countries you come from different backgrounds you have you know different interests but you have that common interest of pursuing the enjoyment of being outside you know you're the hiking and spending time um doing the activities like that so you're already connected somehow so then you have this instant connection that makes you comfortable and you kind of let down some of your your barriers so as days go by and things get a little bit harder you know you start joking around a little bit more and you start sharing more more things like you know your your stomach issues or (laughs) you're more free to show your oozing blisters and things like that so you know you are becoming closer and you don't often do that in an office environment for instance no you don't you take off your shoes and you know everyone <laughs> at the desk is like ew you know you're that guy in the office especially if you open like a can of tuna or something but you know out here that changes quickly because yeah you're more relaxed and you're pursuing something that you you have a common interest in and um how would you as an outsider describe the the nature that we are in and the nature that we've been been fortunate enough to spend the last couple of days in i think it's been stunning i mean it's it's a bit cooler for the time of year that it is you know it's the temperatures are a little bit lower but you know it's still super green and you have all of the lakes and stuff and yeah we've picked berries along the the trail the whole way whether it was the cloudberries or the blueberries and you know that it's it's not the huge mountains like the alps but the mountains here are really large there's still snow on them you have reindeer that are you know trotting through the valley and it's just a really pretty landscape and and the water and the water there's water everywhere yeah all of the the streams and the creeks that are running down from well whether it was the glaciers you know on this last section or or from the lakes so yeah it's really really pretty all the birch trees with the paper birch paper and That you've made a bracelet from. I did make a bracelet, yes. <laughs> While hiking. <laughs> While hiking, yes. Accessorizing on the trail. <laughs> um, what, what type of person do you think should consider an event such as this one? That's the beauty. I think Fjall Raven's done a really good job. So like I was saying, this, that's the beauty of this event is I think it's open to everybody because they have spent a lot of time putting together information on their website so you know there's tips on how to pack what to expect um it's well supported there's volunteers along the whole trail which has just been amazing so you can come into it with very little knowledge and you can seek out any member of the Fjallraven the crew and they can give you suggestions on how to pack or you know what type of thickness in in a sock would be best for your hiking boots and then along the way you know people are checking in on you and you're not on the trail alone so 
you know, I know I've been apt to help people and accept help when I need it. So this is a nice event for that and that you can, yeah, you can go at it solo and you can go through it fast and be experienced or you can come with very little experience, take your time with it, take the breaks you need and get the tips you need to have a really great time. Hiking the trail was another Swedish outdoor profile. Ted Veirum has a very popular YouTube channel where he tests equipment and gives good advice for those eager to hike the trails. My name is uh, Ted Veirum. I am 31 years old, born and raised in Malmö, south of Sweden. Uh, I just finished Fjällräven Classic uh, 2019. Love being outdoor. Have a son, six years old. And I'm here with my girlfriend, and this is her first time doing this. Work for Natul Kompaniet, and uh, yeah, I also have my little YouTube channel where I try to uh, do a lot of gear reviews and uh, go through uh, some tips and share my adventures with uh, with my followers. So we are sitting here at the uh, finish line here in Obisko. Uh, clear blue skies and uh, sunshine. Yeah. Uh, how would you summarize uh, the past days? Uh, wow, in- incredible! It's uh, it's so much to take in. Um, the pictures and the film will not will not be um, enough. This is something that you have to do and feel for yourself uh, and realize how much you and your body can handle if you just prepare and do things the right way. If you don't, you will also definitely uh, feel that. Uh, but yeah, this is a truly magical place in, in so many ways. So I highly recommend this for everyone uh, who want to dig deeper within themselves and really uh, get a feel for who they are and what they're capable of. Um, you are somewhat, thanks to your YouTube channel, you are somewhat famous for the, like you said, the gear reviews and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so if we should focus a bit on that and um, to someone who is listening and uh, who is curious about doing this or something similar to this, how would you go about um, to, to um, kind of uh, instruct someone in, in how they should uh, prepare and plan when it comes to uh, what kind of gear they should uh, look at what kind of gear they should need for something like this uh, Well first you have to understand that the environment up here is is not uh, It could be dangerous is not the most friendly place in the world uh, With a form of nature that is up here, uh, so you need to be prepared for everything uh, Good weather of course bad weather wind rain snow uh, pretty much anything can happen Pretty much all year round up here so you need to prepare for that and, and really be uh, have a lot of self, uh, what do you call it, self-knowledge, I guess, and uh, know what you can do, but also what you have to do. And, and you need to practice a lot at home before you come up here. Um, and also by doing the practice at home, you will realize the things that you need to have it good or the things that you need to only survive and uh, you have to also realize that you're going to carry all of this for a long distance and you need to be aware of uh, your feet uh, and, and all the, the fast changing things in terms of weather and, and climate up here. 
so my, my main tip is, is prepare as much as you can at home. Uh, practice with a heavy bag. Go for a couple of days if you can. And really feel your pack and, and practice just putting up the tent and taking it down. Even if, for me, even if I've done it for a couple of years, uh, we still practice at home because we are not used to the tent that we had now. So we still practice and not just for me, I went with a group and my girlfriend, but I also let her do it. So in, in if need be, she could uh, also do it by herself. Uh, so you don't just trust yourself or that you should do everything because yeah, you never know what gonna, what's, what's gonna happen to yourself or something like that. So just prepare and, and educate and inform everyone around you um, as much as you can. and. I mean, in this case, we went with a group, um, so it's also about taking care of the group, and then the group will take care of you, sort of a mindset. So, uh, but my my main sort of one-liner is to really prepare at home. Um, is it? Uh, I don't know. It's it's possibly a kind of difficult question, but would you say that this is a type of event where you will need the? I don't know the. the the best type of gear or or can you do with the 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 less expensive alternative if if you if your budget doesn't allow that 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 much investments um i would say the the <laughs> the best gear is always your head uh as long as you have the knowledge and you know what you're doing yes you could of course get away uh with cheaper things um I wouldn't go at the lowest end of the budget scale, I suppose, but uh, as long as I know my gear and I know how I will function together with that and what the gear will offer me in return, uh, yes, you could probably do it. Um, but with that said, there is always a but. Uh, if the gear breaks, if the quality is not good, um, it's not going to be worth it. Uh, so I think you should think, go for the long run and. and and probably invest not only for a trek like this or an adventure like this but prolong that a little bit and and also i mean for me it's always been like yeah you could go cheap and and buy things that will last you one adventure or you can really get comfortable and get to know your gear and use it for uh, an extended amount of time i mean the jackets and, and shoes and boots and everything that i've had i've been with them for for a couple of years and i know uh, my gear in and out and I know how it works I know uh, what it will give me and what it will offer me and also know what it doesn't do so um, yeah you don't you don't test it over over the limit um, but again that this comes from experience and just uh, going out in, in, in places where you're more familiar with the terrain and where you can just stay out for one night uh, doing the one-nighter is, is the best practice where you do the whole routine of what a day could possibly look like and then you can just add up and, and practice and train, uh, train your feet, train walking and, and running and all those things. Um, yeah. And speaking of coming prepared and planning your equipment. As I'm in Abisko, one guy crosses the finish line with a big pink inflatable flamingo strapped to his backpack. So, so um, hiking with flamingos, is that a thing? I think it is quite a good thing if you've done it a couple of times and you know how it's gonna be on the track and <laughs> if you just want to have something stupid with you for, for no purpose or just poor purpose then I can highly, highly recommend it, yeah. This is not the first Fjellerman Classic that you do? 
Now it's the fourth one and the second one with the same flamingo. <laughs> Unfortunately, he's now kind of damaged and he's leaking a lot of air, so... <laughs> I'll kind of have to bring another one next year, unfortunately. <laughs> and I overheard you talking that you actually stop sometimes to refill him, uh, the flamingo. Exactly, yeah, I had to because people who I, were, uh, I was just crossing said, oh, he's looking kind of sad and I said, oh, yeah, it's hard. But there was a guy from um, Thailand who actually helped me to fix it so it doesn't lose that much air anymore. <laughs> um, I guess... Uh, hiking with a big pink flamingo is what we call an, like a good icebreaker. That it's a lot of people, like myself, start talking to you just because you got the got that flamingo. Yeah, that's totally true, and that's maybe one of the reasons why I brought it with me last year. I did it with a friend, and he um, had to quit that Chacha Pass, and so I was completely on my own. And I just unpacked it, blew it up, and was carrying it in my hands for the rest of the trek. <laughs> and so I met a quite a good a lot of nice conversations and I ended up having an interview right here at the same place with the, uh, the biggest Chinese television and it was just like where do did I end up with just being stupid yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, have you ever found yourself starting talking to the flamingo when when no one can see you well no that didn't start right now but I think yeah that would be an awkward thing and I think I should get some help if that would, would, would happen yeah. uh, where are you from from Switzerland um, comparing uh, the Swiss Alps to uh, the, 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 the Swedish terrain that you've been spending the last couple of days, how would you go about comparing those two? Well, um, I did a lot of hiking in Switzerland when I was a young boy, so I was kind of used to it. And when we started with the Fjallraven Classic, uh, my friend and I, in 2016, we met a lot of people who were saying, yeah, be aware of the pass, it's going to be hard. And after 20 minutes, we kind of managed and we were on top of it and was just thinking, where are they the kidding path? us? <laughs> Has the, is, it, is it this thing? <laughs> uh, but what's the biggest differences uh, if we talk about the nature and terrain? Well, um, I'm studying geography as well uh, and sports in Switzerland. And yeah, of course, you see that um, there's a lot. Yeah, probably most of this was covered by ice while the ice age. And that makes um, the hills and the mountains looking quite round and not that pointy that they are in Switzerland. I think it's this thing. And of course, other animals you meet. No seagulls in Switzerland. And that's just the thing. You're outside in the mountains and you're not expecting to hear seagulls in the morning, but you do. That's... Yeah. Um, now you're the expert, but I think I've heard that the the scunds uh, that the mountain range is called. I think uh, I've heard somewhere that it's one of the oldest ranges in the world because it has been torn down by more than one ice sheet. And for instance, the Alps are so much younger because it's kind of still. Is am I onto something? Yeah, that's absolutely true. Uh, the Alps uh, were made. Uh, um, yeah not that early than the scones were and the interesting thing is that this whole mountain thing ends up being the um, in the highlands of Scotland as well so it's kind of an interesting feature and yeah you're absolutely right it's old and that's the reason why it's uh, it's not that pointy anymore as the Alps are yeah it's true uh, so you and the Flamingo just crossed the finish line like 30 minutes ago. H how do you feel at this moment? What are you going to do? What's the next thing? Well, I think the next thing is getting my luggage, raising the tent, then taking a shower, after that going to the nurse because uh, I don't have that hard blisters than I used to have. Uh, yeah, this year I tried just doing nothing and go on and no blister tapes and that worked pretty good but uh, now I have issues with my nails 
like they were yeah under pressure a lot and maybe the nurse can uh, fix the flamingo as well oh that would be a great <laughs> idea <laughs> enjoy <laughs> thank you I honestly can't think of any activity that makes me feel more sound and healthy than a couple of days of hiking. Being outside 24 hours a day for 4 or 5 days. Carrying a somewhat heavy backpack, moving through the terrain on my own two feet. Eating when hungry, resting when tired. Sometimes a bit too warm, sometimes a bit too cold. Washing myself in ice-cold mountain streams, and boiling my coffee from that same ice-cold fresh water. When it comes to preparation of your backpack, I would say that there are roughly two types of people. The ones who trim the handles of their toothbrush to save those extra grams, and then there are those who don't really care about that extra kilo on their shoulders. I'm definitely one of the latter. So I even brought a proper book with me. Sure, a paperback, but still. The one I chose was Sapiens, from Yuval Nora Harari, with a PhD in history and philosophy from the University of Oxford. Quite early on in his book, the author describes the life of the first humans, the first sapiens who were hunters and gatherers for tens of thousands of years before the so-called agricultural revolution some 12,000 years ago. Even though the author makes it very clear that the life 20,000 years ago was no walk in the park, he does conclude that the life of a hunter-gatherer must have been far less complicated than the life today. The simplicity of their lives came from the nomadic lifestyle. With no farmland, it didn't make any sense to stay put in one place. They just roamed the land following the seasons. And with that lifestyle came very few possessions. All they ever needed was on their backs. Now, I do know that it's quite a stretch to compare a hunter-gatherer from 20,000 years ago to a Dutch couple hiking in northern Sweden, but I actually do believe that this is a good way of reminding ourselves of our background. An event such as the Fjellreven Classic really opens up the door to a more simple way of living, on the move with all you need on your back. And just like I said in my conversation with Sophie, the nature up here is not to be taken lightly, but during these days you don't have to be that seasoned but still get the full experience of being out here for real. And as a citizen of a modern society centered around constant consumption, this could be a much needed perspective and food for thoughts. If all we need is in our backpacks, then what are all those things we left back home? And if that still doesn't convince you to give it a try, the Fjellreven Classic manages to combine hiking, rock and roll and tattoos. Yeah. sending people back home hungry for more. My name is Magnus Ormestad, and you've been listening to the Swedish outdoor podcast Husky. For more info on this episode, check out the webpage at huskypodcast.com. You can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram at the handle huskypodcast. Husky is produced in cooperation with Naturkompaniet, And this episode was recorded with Fjällräven.
The music is made by Joel Moll. <laughs>